Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Out of the Cave podcast. This podcast, you, you could say it's about a lot of things, but really the real purpose of this podcast is a way for me to have conversations with people I find interesting and want to speak with. I've always been interested in what it means to be a man, personality, relationships, morality, the existence of God, and a bunch of other topics in that same vein. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations and take something away like I will. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Jay Lee, thanks so much for being with me today. I'm glad to be here. So I first met you at the uh, Gupta College of Business at the University of Dallas in a leadership and organizations class. And right. you have a fantastic way of not really teaching the material, but talking about your experience. And I was just so excited to uh, get you on the podcast today and kind of talk about your background and some of the lessons that you can give to young men here who are the, the primary focus of this podcast. So we'll, let's start with this, Jay Lee. Take us back. What is your background? What is your experience? How did you grow up? All that. Well, you know, grew up growing up, <laughs> moving all over Texas, really. Uh, you know, we, my dad was in the oil business when I was growing up, and we moved a lot. Um, but in 1970, we moved from Odessa to, to Arlington. And so when I say where I grew up, sometimes I say I grew up in Odessa, but thinking about my whole life now, I've actually been here in Tarrant County for over 50 years now. So uh, really primarily here, but, you know, just growing up regular, I, for me, it was a regular life, um, you know, just a, a lot of moving, going to school and didn't get really involved in sports until later. I mean, it was like you know, maybe 11 or 12 years old when I finally got into sports and then played football and baseball and, and stuff like that. Um, didn't grow up in a church going home at all. Um, so that wasn't an influence. Uh, it was just didn't have any, I remember one time, this was in eighth grade, I, there was this guy that moved here from Oklahoma, and, and I was riding in the car with his mom, and something came up about church, and and she asked me if I was a Christian, and I said, no, I think we're Methodists, <laughs> I was just clueless, I didn't have any idea, anything about, about that, uh, but then when I was a sophomore in high school, I, I, I went to a, a Young Life meeting, and Young Life is a non-denominational, evangelistically intentional organization aimed at, at high school kids that are unchurched and don't have a relationship with God. And, and, and so I went to Young Life and, and uh, it, was, it was interesting because you know, it's, it's so clear now looking back, but Young Life had a philosophy that it was a sin to bore teenagers with the gospel. And I would say it's a sin to bore anybody with the gospel, regardless of age. But, you know, it's a highly entertaining. I think that night they they had a challenge that if we got a certain number of kids in the in the room, 100 or 150, whatever it was, that the, the leader would eat a goldfish raw, and he ate a raw goldfish. And so very entertaining, very upbeat, not what I perceived, you know, a church-like event would be. But anyway, very clear presentation of the gospel, and, and I, you know, accepted Christ as my Savior and became a Christian when I was, when I was 15 years old. And I told some of this story in class the other day, but that, that same year, 1973, is kind of a pivotal year for me. That's when I also met Laura, who, um, you know, became, eventually my, became my wife. So we've been together now for 47 years. And uh, went to Austin College in, in, in Sherman, a liberal arts school, majored in economics and political science. Um, but starting in high school and then even through Austin College, I, I worked at Penny's Distribution Center, delivering furniture, working in the warehouse and stuff. Was still doing that when I graduated and said, I don't want to do this for a living. So I went straight into right after Laura and I got married. And as I was graduating from Austin College, went into the MBA program at UT Arlington and actually worked six days a week and took 12 hours of school at night. And I look back on some of those things. I'm like, how in the world did we do that? But anyway, did it. And just before I was um, going to graduate with my MBA one semester before I, I got a job with a company called Industrial Air and Hydraulics, which was a wholesale distributorship. And that was probably one of the, another, you know, I think about, look back on my life, what were some crucible events and crucible relationships. And there, the, the founder of the company and the CEO, Jim Lewis, uh, he just kind of took me under his wing and, and started teaching me about business. And, and he, you know, made me his protege. And, and so I learned a lot about business uh, about business there and and uh, ended up working there for a few years then left and, and went and worked at someplace else and that finally fell apart the economy hit that pretty hard and went back to industrial air and hydraulics but 
during that time, I'd also started teaching part-time at UT Arlington, teaching management, and they had a need for somebody to teach full-time. So four classes a semester was full-time. So through a significant period of time, I was I, I say gainfully overemployed because um, I had two full-time jobs. And, uh, and then we sold industrial air and hydraulics, and it was just a different place when the new owners took over. And, and I was really starting to realize that my passion and my gifting was for teaching. But without a PhD, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make a living at it. So uh, the way I like to say it is you have to have the union card. It's kind of a closed shop, and you have to have a union card to, to teach at the university level. So when I was 37, I went back to school and uh, got my PhD in uh, organizational behavior in my area of specialization. My, my dissertation, most of my research was on leadership. So, so that's kind of the academic career uh, place. Um, I think the other thing when I think about my timeline is, is there not only the significance of becoming a Christian and meeting Laura and working at industrial air and hydraulics and Jim Lewis was a big factor, but also a couple of men in high school, coach Carter and coach Howington uh, had a huge influence on me. And then when I went to Austin college, there was three professors there, Dr. Street and uh, Shelly Williams. We always call Shelly. We never call him Dr. Williams, Shelly Williams and Lee Van Zandt, and it was never Dr. Van Zandt, it was always Lee, and those guys, they, they kind of saw something in me, and, and maybe saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself, I, I didn't have this label for it, but I think I had the imposter syndrome, I was afraid that I wasn't smart enough to be there, it was kind of an intimidating academic environment, and I didn't think I was smart enough to be there, and and, uh, but anyway, they, they, they saw stuff in me and, and I think that's, that's true of coach Carter, coach Howington, those three guys at Austin college and then Jim Lewis. And then they, they really invested deeply in me and I, I'm, I'm thankful. In fact, my, my middle daughter, she, she tells me that she actually prays and thanks God for coach Carter and coach Howington because she knows the impact they had on me. And, and she thanks God that they were in my life at a crucial time. In, in my in my life and so um, I've tried to thank those guys every, every way I can and and it just never seemed adequate you know you take them to lunch or dinner and you write them a note and you write them a card I mean you just do everything you can to express your gratitude for what they did for you and it just never seemed adequate and and I think this oh, I, I can't put a time a, a definite time on it but it occurred to me that maybe the best way to thank them was to pay it forward. And, 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 a, and a, one of my favorite words is intentional and that I needed to be intentional about being to others what they were to me. And, and so it just kind of developed a heart for, for investing in mentoring, coaching, whatever you want to call it, younger men. And, and, and then Laura and I kind of took it on together uh, we also saw that, not, not that we have a perfect marriage, but we have a flourishing marriage, even after, and it'll be 42 years in November, that, I mean, we have an abundant marriage. You know, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Well, I think that applies to every area of our life. We have an abundant marriage. And, and so we also kind of had a heart and a passion to, to invest in younger couples. And so we got very, very involved in, in, uh, the church we were going to at the time had a very large emphasis on, on married life. And it was not just marriage, but also parenting. And we got involved in that. We were one of the lead, the lead lay people in that. And we taught a lot of seminars and a lot of workshops on marriage. And then, and then at the same time, I also started doing a lot of men's Bible studies and developing, you know, this, this whole intentional thing about investing in younger and younger men. Um, so, so that, that was kind of a passion for me. And, and, and two significant things that kind of emerged from that, um, there, there's, there's a guy that, this guy's phenomenal <laughs> and, and just a tremendous leader. And he's one of those guys that if he asks people to show up, they just show up. They just have so much respect for him. Well, he's the number two guy at Deloitte Consulting and very busy, has a tremendous marriage and tremendous family, great kids. And, and the, the amazing thing about it is for most of his working life, he's left home on Sunday and got home on Friday because he was a consultant. And so, so he reached out to me and, and said, hey, we've got some guys that would like to do a, a men's Bible study, but here's the deal. 
we're, we're all busy, busy, and you know, traveling. I mean, these are all executive, vice president, CEO, kind of, I mean, top level guys. And, but we're, we're really busy. And, and when we're home on the weekends, we've got soccer games and baseball games with our kids. The only time available in our schedule is eight o'clock on Sunday mornings. Would you be willing to lead a Bible study for us at eight o'clock on Sunday mornings? And I said, I said, well, sure, I, I'll do that. And I had just developed this uh, uh, legacy leadership framework uh, based on the leadership wisdom of the apostle Paul. And, um, so I said, we'll, we'll go through that. So I figured, well, we'll go through that in, in that'll, you know, I don't know, eight, 10 weeks. We'll go through that. Well, that went on for four years, <laughs> wow. went on for four years. And, and I call them the Sunday men. I, I call it the Sunday men. And, and then, you know, after that, I, I said, guys, I, you know, I think that, you know, I've invested in, 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 in doing that. We also developed this thing called take Jay Lee to work. And, and, you know, get, take your, take your daughter to work, take your dog to work. I mean, everybody's taking something to work. I will take Jay Lee to work. And, and what I wanted to do, and, and, and I actually did this yesterday with, with the guy, um, I want to go to where people work because I want to see their environment. I want to understand their context. I, and I want to really try to understand their whole life. You know, I, I interact with a guy and I get what he says to me and, and we have our interactions, but I would try to put it in a broader context. And so, so, the way we would do it is I would go to work, get there a little bit early. They'd show me around. They'd talk about their work, give me a, you know, kind of a, the, the lay of the land of their work. And then we'd go out to lunch and stuff. So, so in addition to meeting with all these guys as a group, I would meet with them one-on-one. -on -one and, you know, and, and some of those clicked and became ongoing coaching mentor relationships. And some of them didn't, but that, that's okay. So anyway, but we'd done that for about three and a half years. And I said, okay, guys, I, I've really poured into you as individuals. Here's what I'd like to do now. I said, how about if we shifted from Sunday morning to Sunday night and you brought your wives and I developed once again, a curriculum legacy is the big word for me. And I called it legacy marriage. And, and so, you know, Laura and I led a, a, a Bible study for them and their, and their uh, wives. And, and, and we did that. So, so, but that season kind of ended. I mean, things just kind of have a natural end. And so then a, a few years ago, I decided that, there was a lot of guys that were my son's age. Justin's 38 now, so he was probably 30, 32 when, when we did this. There were a lot of guys at that age that that's when life is starting to take off. That's when they're married. That's when they're starting to have kids. But it's also when their careers are starting to really kick in. And my concern there is that if we're not careful, and I think this could apply to women too, but I'm not a woman, so I can't speak for her. <laughs> if we're not careful, our career becomes a God. It becomes, that's the thing that we worship. That's the thing that we pour our energy into. That's where we spend our time. That's where we spend our physical energy. That's where we spend our emotional energy. And if we're not careful as men, we buy into the myth that I'm taking care of my family by earning a living. And, and I think we have, it's, a, it's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Because what they really need from us is to share a life. But we substitute earning a living for sharing life. And so, so I'm, I'm seeing these guys, and there's a lot of this age group at our church. And, and I just have this sphere of influence, if you will, or just sphere of context, maybe not influence yet. But I'm thinking, you know, that is a time of life where, you know, I, I went through my career change and going back to school. But it's just there's so much going on at that time of life. And I said, man, I, if I can invest in these guys and, and, and share some life experience and keep them from making some of the mistakes. And, and, and so uh, we gathered a bunch of guys and uh, actually invited a couple of other men that were my age. So that there would be other mentor uh, and, and we call it the first Tuesday project. And uh, so one, the first Tuesday of every month, we would, we would do this. And, uh, once again, we started with the legacy leadership content because that content was there and it, it's available that, you know, some good biblical principles. And, and so, so, so we did that. Uh, at the same time, we were, we were involved in, in what our church calls life groups, small group ministry. And uh, we had, we had one life group that was our age people, which honestly, most people aren't fun. 
I don't want to spend time with a bunch of old codgers. <laughs> so, so there was one time where, where we were actually, we had that going on, but then there was also two other life groups that we were uh, invited into that were for young couples and, and the same idea, you know, how can we help young couples and, and, and stuff like that. Um, you're not at this stage yet, but here, here's what happens if you're not intentional. Okay. Intentionality is the key. You'll hear me say intentional all the time, but if we're not intentional, we, we get in, in, into our married life and the, the husband focuses on his career and, and, and that, that, and as men, we're, we're kind of hardwired task oriented. I'm, I'm making generalizations, but we get a lot of our esteem. Our, our self image comes from our work and the work we do. And so, so if we're not intentional, that's where we invest our time and our energy and our focus. And then we start having children and the wife, of course, and this is important, she invests in the children. And so, so we're, we're cohabitating, we're in the same house, we're in the same, under the same roof, but I'm spending my time, my focus and my energy on work. She's spending her time, her focus, her energy on the children. And too often couples aren't investing in their own relationship. I had a pastor several years ago that said the greatest inheritance a father can give his children is to love their mother. And, and so, and Laura and I have been very intentional, not that we didn't love our kids and we didn't focus on our kids, but we were the primary relationship. And, and that gives kids a lot of security that makes sure the marriage is fine. But when couples don't do that, so here's what happens is you, you get to the point where the kids get to a certain age, high school, and they start going off to college. And now the, it's an empty nest. And, and, you have this husband and this wife that didn't keep working on their relationship. And now the thing that held them together was the fact that they had kids that that's not there anymore. They didn't keep cultivating their life. And in and, and the first time that that really hit us, we were actually teaching a young couples uh, Sunday school class at our church. And, and these kids were all in, in their early thirties and had, had kids and their, and their parents who had been married 20, 25 years, suddenly divorced. And it was devastating, Vince. It was devastating to those kids, adult children, when their parents' marriage fell apart. Well, I, I didn't go study every one of them, but, but I'm guessing that, that what happened was they had not continued to invest in the marriage and in that relationship. And then when the, the thing that was holding them together, the children left, that marriage just, just, just fell apart. So, so, oh, that's a long story just to say that I just think it's crucial it's crucial that, that those of us that are a little further down the road be investing in those that are behind us. And, and, and so that, you know, it's, and we, we all, all have somebody that's a little further ahead of us. We ought to have what my friend calls wingmen, people that are going through life. They're at the same stage of life that we are, but then we ought to be investing in people behind us. And so, I, so that, that's just something that, I'm, that I'm, I'm passionate about, I'm concerned about. Uh, I don't have any ongoing groups that I'm working with now, but I have men that I that I coach and counsel, and I have some regularly scheduled calls with with some guys, and and you know I just think I think it's crucial. It was it, th those relationships were vital in my development, and in you know I want to invest and in, and in, in pour into others, and so um, so so to the point that you're aiming your podcast at this group. I think it's huge because we, we need, we need those people. We need those people in our lives. And, um, some of, some people call it a personal board of directors. You know, you have, you can probably think of your, your relationships in the, in a series of concentric circles. You got some people that you're really close to and then some people, you know, and they're friends, but you're not as concentric, but we all need, this personal board of directors, this, this, this inner circle, if you will, that <laughs> my, my friend that I was talking about, the consultant that, that, that was the, the catalyst for starting the Sunday man, he, he talked about the, these guys had refrigerator rights. <laughs> refrigerator rights is when I can show up at your house and I can go get in your refrigerator and get whatever I want. I don't have to ask, you know, and there's no, but these people are people that, that can ask us the hard questions. These are people that can challenge us. These are people that we can pour our hearts out to and, and know that we're not going to be judged. But at the same token, they're also not going to let us waller in whatever issue we're wallering in. 
and they're going to challenge us. And uh, my, my good friend, Terry, uh, he, I talk about Terry all the time, and it's kind of an odd, if you were to ever see us, we're so different. I mean, he is on the bleeding edge of technology. I mean, he is a technology guy. And he's about, I guess Terry's probably 15 years younger than I am. And we knew each other. We had been at the same church, and now we're at, at, a, at a different church. We knew each other. But when we started the, the campus, we, we started what we call Portable Church. We started it, it basically setting up church every Saturday morning, um, unloading two 53-foot trailers, and we, we ran it in a, in a middle school. And so when we finally opened the church, I was standing at the door greeting, and he was there talking to me. And it was kind of a serendipitous thing. But it, he, he, he was talking to me, and he said, hey, I've been praying about something. And I said, okay. And he said, I've been praying that God would bring an older man into my life that they could just kind of share with me their wisdom and their insights and stuff. And he said, would you mind getting on a call with me to talk about this? I said, Oh, I love to do that. I mean, that's right in my sweet spot, but you know, and, and, and I mean, we knew of each other, but we didn't really know each other in that casual conversation on the first day that we opened our, our Keller campus of our church. Well, that was about six years ago, <laughs> and, and Terry and I talk. We have a regularly scheduled call twice a month. Uh, not only did I work with him, but then he brought me to work with his direct reports, and and you know just kind of. But it's it it, it might have started off with me as the older guy being the mentor, but right now at this stage of our relationship, it's really iron sharpening iron, you know. He challenges me and invests in me as much as I challenge and invest in him. And, and so back to this idea that of having an issue, and there was something about a year and a half ago that I was really struggling with, and I, was, and he, and I just basically vented. And he listened, and he didn't judge and, and, and everything. And then by, by the time our next call came around, I was, I was pretty well over it, and, and we were processing it. And I said, and, and, I'm, and I'm guessing, Terry, that if I hadn't been over this, that you were probably going to call me on it. And he said, you're exactly right. I said, and you were going to probably say to me what Jesus said to the, to, the, to the guy that was laying on the pallet, hoping somebody would put him in the water when the water rippled. Do you want to get well? <laughs> well, well, if you want to get well, then get up and get on with your life. And, and Terry laughed, and he said, that's exactly. He said, I'd already thought about it. I was going to challenge you. So. So, so back to this, you know, these, this personal board of directors is, is these people are people that we can vent with, the people we can drop our guard, people that are going to love us and accept us, but they're also going to challenge us. You know, it's like, okay, you process that, you got that out, but now it's time to get up off your mat and get on, get on with life. So, and it, you know, in our leadership class, we're, we're reading the book Radical Candor. And, and the, the, the deal there is I'm going to care personally and I'm going to challenge directly. Yes. And, and, and that's exactly what I see in these relationships. I mean, Carrie, Terry cares personally for me, obviously. I mean, we're, we're tremendous friends. But he also challenges me directly. And same thing with him. I really, really care about him, but I challenge him directly. But it's always in the context of that relationship. You know, it's not just out of the blue. You don't just come flying in and uh, the, when I was working with the, the Nokia group, uh, they talked about, and, and I'm sure in English it's a different word, but they talked about the Loki bird. And, and the Loki bird would, would swoop in, squawk, poop, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a Loki bird. I don't want to just swoop in and squawk, poop, and leave. You know, that's not, that's not what radical candor is, is about. That's not what these relationships are about. So anyway, I rambled on as I do. I rambled <laughs> on about that, but uh, just, just to kind of pull back the curtain about some of the things that I do in investing in, in, in younger men. I, I do think there's a mistake that, that a lot of people make is, is that they, they, they want somebody like that. And, and they, they put too much pressure on it. They, they go to, to somebody and they, they say, will you be my mentor? You know, well, that, that, that's a heavy word, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think that scares a lot of potentially good mentors away because they don't want that, you know. 
And, and I think a better way to approach it is maybe to, to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm, I'm working on something. Would you help me think through this? I'm, I'm struggling with the decision or I'm evaluating an opportunity and, and I'd, I'd really like to pick your brain and I'd like to think, would you think through this with me? I think if you start with that, it's a specific task, it's a specific idea, a specific suggestion, a specific question. What happened to me, the, and, and there's a lot of organizations that have formal mentoring. I mean, we actually do it at the university. We assign a faculty mentor to a junior faculty member. And my experience has been that that's helpful and there's certain structural things that, that, that but the best mentoring is the mentoring that comes when it kind of evolves naturally and emerges. And, and so rather than loading it up with, will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? Just go to somebody with a question and, and you know, you'd start dialoguing and answering the question and, and then there might be another question, but if it's, if it's going to be a, a real iron sharpening iron mentoring experience, I think it has to emerge. And, and so I, I appreciate younger men that want a mentor and, but I think sometimes, and younger women too, and, and women need women need good mentors and good role models as well. And I, let me come back to that thought. But I think when you when you when you make it so formal and so structured, and you put a word on it, I think that that scares some people away. And you know, we all have implicit assumptions about what that word means, and that that can that can get us trouble. But back to the women thing. I actually have one coaching client that is a female and she is brilliant. I mean, she is just, she's great. And, and she just has such a teachable spirit and stuff, but we're at a distance. I talked to her by phone and she heard me speak at a conference and came up to, to my consulting partner, Matt Gilly and I, after she heard me speak and, and said that she was looking for an executive coach and would we be interested in doing it? And it's Matt's company, so Matt said, "Yeah, we'll do it." And and I told Matt, I said, "Matt, I'm not going to meet with her one on one. You know, physically, I'm not going to meet with her face to face. I'm, I, there's, you know, and of course, that that's easy to keep now because she's in Georgia, I'm in Texas. So <laughs> I just think I, there's nothing wrong with a man doing that. I, I don't think, but I think that things can get complicated." when it's a cross, you know, gender uh, deal, especially, and, and, you know, I've been working with her for, for several years now, and, and it has gotten into some of the personal stuff that she's dealing with in, in her marriage and in, in her life and stuff like that. And, and I've been very, I think she would say, I've been very helpful to her, not just in her business work, but in her marriage and, and dealing with some issues that she was dealing with. But that, that's just a, it's just an area where you got to really be careful. You know, uh, I think, I think about counselors, I think about pastors and priests that counsel people, uh, it creates a very vulnerable situation. Here comes somebody that, that their emotional needs are not being met in their, their marriage, let's say. And now I'm talking to you and you're hearing me. Wow. You're hearing me. You're listening to me. You're acting like you're concerned and you're interested in me. And so then you start projecting, well, here's a man that's interested in me and giving me the, the attention that I'm not getting. And, and you know, and so when, when, when there are unmet needs, then that creates vulnerability. In, in my leadership class, we talk about how leaders derail. And, and one of the ways that you derail is that when you get depleted, uh, people that are in recovery programs talk about the halt principle. Don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. When you're, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you're vulnerable to whatever your addiction is, what, you know, whatever your vulnerability is. I've actually expanded that. I now call it halter. Uh, don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired, too entitled. I think too many people move into leadership and then they become entitled. They think that the rules don't apply to them and they deserve a little something on the side or a little extra, whatever. And then the R in my halter acronym is, is removed. I think too often leaders set themselves up for trouble uh, because they get too far removed from the people. They're not among the people and, and they get, there's a separation and this power distance stuff gets in. And, and, and so, um, so anyway, the, the point there was everybody male or female can benefit from having mentors. 
but cross-gender cross -gender mentorships. They can be tricky. They can be tricky and you just need to be aware. You just need to be aware, so. Yeah, I think for me. Well, you uh, asked me a question. <laughs> no, this is great. I, I knew uh, uh, you answered a lot of the questions I was thinking of as you as you were talking about them. So I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the thing that I've experienced in my life is uh, I've had some really great mentors who, who took me under their wing. Um, actually, my last guest uh, who I just had on, he's a constitutional law professor who took me under his wing when I was in high school. He taught a class that I was a part of. Um, it was on relativism, kind of like debunking relativism and uh -huh. like how we have to have a, you know, a moral ethic that we, we live our lives by. And I'm from Massachusetts and I, I at the time was at a very liberal public high school and you know, there wasn't much talk about you know, your moral ethical code. And I just had such a, an amazing experience in that class and then he, he actually went on to offer me an internship. Um, I mentioned that I, you know, I had an internship process for that high school and I could, you know, mm -hmm. leave class and go, you know, work in a job or, you know, right. be mentored by somebody. And he was, you know, totally willing and very uh, excited to do that. And yeah, it was kind of funny when you um, mentioned about, you know, how do you ask for a mentor? Cause that was definitely one of the questions I was going to ask. A lot mm -hmm. of guys probably struggle with, like they want to be coached. They don't know how to find that coaching. Right. Right. Um, I think I was pretty direct. I'm a direct person. I was just like, you know, can I uh, ask you for an internship? Uh, right. Definitely worded it a little better than that. And he was, he was definitely willing to do it. Um, but yeah, for me, mentors have had just a huge impact on my formation and my development as a man, mm -hmm. what, I, mm -hmm. what I value. And part of the, part of the reason I love this podcast is I get to meet so many uh, great people who also give me advice, you know, just through the, their message. Right. Um, but I think I would like you to expand a little bit on how can young men, especially like college age guys who are seeking that, that deeper purpose, meaning, um, the direction for their life, they, they don't have the answers that they need. How can they even start that process? You know, how do they even look to find somebody? Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's a lot of different, you, you know, you can start wherever you are. There's multiple entry points. Um, one of the things that, that I talk about is a pentathlon model of success. And if you think about a pentathlon, it's an Olympic event. There's five sides, but there's, there's your work life and there's your family life. And there's your spiritual life, your community life, uh, your personal life. And, and so if you think about you, you're, you're in your life and you've got multiple things. I mean, you've got work and there's con connections there and you've got school and there's connections there with, with, with classmates, but also with professors and staff, staff members. Uh, if you're involved in church, there's people at church. And, and so I think one of the things is you start noticing, you start noticing and you start noticing people that, that seem to have influence or, or they're doing something that you see that's attractive. And, and so to, to reach out to, to them and, and say, Hey, you know, I'm, and I think it's okay to be transparent and say, I'm, I'm just getting started in my, my career or, or, or whatever. And, uh, I just got some questions I'd, I'd like to ask. Would, would, would you mind going to lunch with me or, or having coffee or having a call and just start, start there. And, and, you know, you might have several of those kinds of inquiry conversations before you get somebody that, that it really hits and it really clicks. Um, and, and I also think that um, not every mentor can help you in every area. I mean, don't, don't come to me for financial advice. Okay. That's not my, not, it's not my thing. If you want to talk to me about leadership, you want to talk to me about personal relationships, you want to talk to me about marriage, I can help you with that, but I'm not going to be the guy that can, can give you advice about how to, how to invest your money. But I, I think, and, 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 you know, I, I, I go back to Terry and, and his, he was praying that God would bring that person into his life. And, and I, I think that's a good place to start. Say. Lord, I, I feel a need. I, I have a desire to have this kind of relationship with, with some, some other men and some older men. And, and so open doors or bring, bring somebody in, into my life. Now, I said other men, and, and earlier I, and when we were talking, I talked about wing men. One of the things that, that concerns me in, in, in our church context we, we do a lot of small group ministry 
and we don't have Sunday school classes and, and those kinds of things. So we small group Bible studies, meeting in people's homes and meeting in coffee shops and stuff. There's nothing wrong. And I think we need to be engaged with people that are at the same stage of life that we are going through the same life experiences and maybe stage of life and family and stuff. But, but it concerns me when, when the only people that are speaking into your life are people that are at the same stage of life that you are, you know, and it's not that they don't have some wisdom and they don't have some insight. And they don't have some experiences. So, so I'm not, I'm not saying exclude those people, but if that's the only people that are speaking into your life, then that concerns me because they haven't had the experience. They don't have the perspective. They don't have, um, you know, wisdom that comes from getting your nose bloodied and making mistakes and, and doing stupid stuff and hopefully learning from it. So, so I think, I think we need it, but I, that's the kind of the way I would, that, that, I would approach it. Um, sometimes like with, with Jim Lewis back at industrial Learning hydraulics, he just, he just decided that he was going to do it. You know, I still remember the first day he came into my office. He said, get out a piece of paper. I want you to take some notes. I mean, it was that deliberate. And, and, and the very first thing he said, I still remember, this is what he wanted me to write down. He said, he said, a business is built on three things, Jay Lee, capacity, capital, and character. He said, we're always trying to build capacity. Capital comes and goes, but man, we got character coming out the kazoo. That's how he said it. <laughs> and, and it was just, he just was intentional. So he's the one that initiated that. And of course I was receptive and, and, you know, so uh, I just, I just don't think there's a formula or a, a precise pathway. There's, there's a concept that we, we talk about in, in, in organizational theory classes. We talk about equifinality. And that's a fancy word. Use that word and impress your friends, okay? Uh, equifinality basically is the idea that there's several ways to get to the end, okay? Multiple paths that lead to the same outcome. You can think about, we're going to drive to Austin. Well, we can go down 35 or we can go down 281. Or, there are a lot of ways to get to Austin. There's not just one. They all get us there. So that's the idea. Of it. And I think that's what happens with, with mentors is, is that there's several ways to get there. And in not every person that you would want to be a mentor is really a good mentor. You know, they just don't have a good mentoring personality. They don't have a, uh, they, they, some, some of those people are really good at telling you what to do. And, and then if you don't do it exactly the way they do it, then they write you off and they're done with you. And you know, I think the best mentors are people that, yes, they, they have some, some ideas and some suggestions, but they're not trying to conform you to their image. They're, they're letting you, and you've, you've heard me talk about this, they're letting you, they kind of help you discover your design and be who you are. And then within the, that design of who you are, who God uniquely designed you to be, then they can, they can help mold and shape you according to the design that God gave you. They're not trying to recreate themselves in you. I don't want you to become Jay Lee. I want you to be the best Vince you can be according to God's design. So not everybody that's they don't necessarily have a mentoring bent, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that, that answered your, your question or if I strayed away from. No, no, definitely. Yeah. I think the, the most important thing is kind of putting yourself in favorable positions to even run into those people. And then, yeah, yeah. and then, yeah, like there's multiple ways to get there, but I think the, the thing that we have to do is take action. So yes. we can't yeah. be, you know, passive, like, Oh, they'll just, you know, like, uh, yeah, they'll just show up. Yeah, and they might. Like, Some people like, will show up, but, but I, you know, and once again, I think about the Christian life, and, 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 I, and I wrote this book, Biblical Perspectives on Leadership and Organizations, and it, it really started with the idea that how does the, the spirit that, that lives within each of us as believers, how could the spirit inform our leadership? And, and one of the conclusions that I reached there was that the Christian life, walking in a manner worthy of the, the calling of the God who calls us into his kingdom and glory, is a joint venture. It's a joint venture between me and the Holy Spirit. And, and I under, I, this is going to sound harsh. I hope everybody that's listening will, will hear me out and don't, don't stop. <laughs> don't, don't, don't shut me off when I first say. There's a saying that many people, that it's well-intentioned, but it's let go and let God. Okay. Now, I understand the idea that we need to let go and let God be God, and, and we need to be, be quiet and still and, and, and know that he is God. But, but as I read the scriptures, that doesn't, that letting go and letting God, that, that, that doesn't relieve me of responsibilities and obligations. 
that doesn't relieve me of the call to be obedient to the things he tells me to do. And so, so I see it as a, as a joint venture where the spirit is prompting and the spirit is guiding and the spirit is leading me. The spirit is creating opportunities. Uh, the spirit is telling me what to say. The spirit, if I'm listening, is also telling me, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but, 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 but I also have to, I have to walk. I, you know, I have to do the things that I feel called to do. I have to do the things that I feel I'm, I'm told to do. I need to be obedient. And, and so it, it's a, it's a joint venture. And so taking that back to this idea of mentorship, yes, there'll be some people that, that move in and, and, and show up in your life that are potential mentors, but, and, and, and they might just be an ask away, but they don't want to impose on you. They don't want to force themselves on you. And, and so, so they're, they're willing and, and capable and gifted and, and, you know, they have the, the bent to do it, but they're waiting on you to, to indicate that you're interested. And, and, and so, so it's that, that kind of joint venture idea, I think is a, I think, I think that's good. That's yeah. Well, you, said, you said, you said something I, I really like. You said we have to put ourselves in position. We have to put ourselves in position. We have to be, put ourselves in position to, to allow those relationships to, to form and develop. We have to put ourselves in position to be used by God in the way that he wants to use us. We, we, you know, um, we've got to make ourselves available to, to that. So I, I, I like that. I think it's a good, that's a good way to think about it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's worked well for me, definitely in my past. Well, let me change gears here a little bit and kind of go off what you were just talking about kind of letting go and let God, or we can talk about that, you know, people get into that analysis paralysis, right? right. Things kind of analyzing everything. I think that's something that a lot of people get into trouble with, especially people around my age group with relationships, either getting mm -hmm. into them or staying in them. Right. What's kind of your advice? I mean, now going on 42 years of marriage, I'm sure you've learned a few things about you right. know, how to have a, as you mentioned, a, um, a not a fruitful relationship, a fruitful marriage, but a, uh, uh, abundant. an abundant marriage. Yeah. An abundant marriage. Um, well, here's, here's a passage of scripture. I'll get my Bible out so I don't misquote it. That I've never heard a sermon preached on this that said this was the key to effective marriage. But when I teach marriage classes, this, this, is, this, is, this is the principle that, that I, I get to really quick. And this, the passage is Philippians chapter 2, and it's verses 3 and 4. And, and Paul's writing to the Philippians, and he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Okay? And, and of course, then he goes on and says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ. And that's when it goes into what the theologians call the kenosis in Christ. Even though he was God, he didn't, he didn't hold on to that. And he emptied himself. And, 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 and for me, that has been a key. And, and we're not perfect at this. But... Laura thinks that her primary job is to meet my needs, okay? And I think my primary job is to meet her needs. And so, so I actually have a diagram when I teach this in marriage classes. I call it the principle of reciprocity. I focus on meeting Laura's needs. Her response to that is that she meets my needs in greater abundance then they would have ever been mad if, if I was sitting around saying, meet my needs, meet my needs, meet my needs. And so, so I'm focusing on her, but she's focusing on me. And that, I don't know, it's just a, a virtuous cycle. I don't know what we, what, what label you want to put on it, but I, I just think that's huge. And, and so if I'm going to focus on meeting her needs, I need to know what her needs are. And, and so one of the things that I say, I say it in the context of leadership, I say it in the context of parenting, but it's huge in the context of, of, of marriage is I need to be a student of Laura. I need to be a student of my spouse. I need to understand her design. I need to understand how she's wired. I need to understand what she likes. I need to understand what she doesn't like. And, and my job is to, understanding her design is to, is, to, is, is to meet her needs. And she's a student of me. I mean, you know, it, it, we are really, really different in so many areas. Uh, but we don't let the differences become a wedge. We, we, we recognize and appreciate the differences and, and we complement, we complete each other. The things that she's good at are things that I'm not good at. The things that I'm good at are things she's not good at. And so we, we really do complement and complete each other. But, 
that, that principle of reciprocity is what I call it, focusing on the needs of, of others. And, and we're hardwired. I mean, we're hardwired to be selfish. Paul says it right there. He, he, he's not saying you're not selfish. He says, he says um, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. I mean, he's, he's assuming, he's assuming we're going to look out for our own interests, but don't merely look out for your own interests, also for the interest of others. And, and so I think that's in, in the, the, the times that we're thriving are the times when we're really living into that. The times when we're less than thriving are the times when we, we kicked into a more selfish season or mode and it doesn't last long, but it happens. And, and I've been called several times in, uh, I would call them crisis phone calls. Uh, one, one was 11 o'clock at night and friends said, you need to get over here. And I mean, they were, they were having a big meltdown in their marriage. And, and I, I got off the phone and, and I told Laura, I said, I need to go. And she said, what do you think the issue is? And I said, well, I know what the issue is. It's going to present and manifest itself in different ways, but the issue is selfishness. Either one or the other is being selfish, and they're really in. in, in every time I, I mean, it, it shows up in different ways, but that's the root problem: is that we get into relationships and then we get selfish. The other thing, if if anybody that's listening has had an accounting class, they probably know about a T account. You know, a T account that where you're debiting and crediting, and and one of the if you're not careful, this principle of reciprocity, if you're not careful, you end up debiting and crediting and keeping score. And this can happen in, in, in personal relationships. This can happen between friends is that, well, I called Vince. I, you know, I'm the one that, 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 that set up this last time. It's his turn to set something up, you know, or I invited them over for dinner. It's their turn to invite me over for dinner. I did this for her. And, I'm not doing anything else for her until she does. And it's like you're debiting and crediting the account, trying to keep the account in balance. And, and if you think that you've given more than the other person has given, then, you, you know, and it would just good relationships, whether it's friends or, or husbands and wives, good relationships don't work if you're keeping score. It just doesn't work. And so that, so the principle of reciprocity is, is, is there focusing on her needs She's focusing on my needs, but if you're not careful, you slip over and say, well, I've been really focusing on her needs and man, you know, she hasn't cooked my special dinner or she didn't do this special favor for me or whatever. And then and, and you start debiting and crediting and keeping score. Ugh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So. Yeah. It seems like that's the killer. Comparing is always the killer of any good thing. And uh, yeah, well, the thing that you mentioned is somebody has to start and you, you gave it from the perspective of you. And I think that's actually accurate as men, we're like the leaders, right? And right, right. I think women look to us to be the ones that lead the relationship, lead, you know, uh, in that masculine, strong way. Like, this mm -hmm. is what I want. And if they don't want it, then they don't accept, right? But it's our job to be the one that does it first. And I think so many men get into this kind of whining and worrying of like, she's not doing what I want. Like, I don't right. know, if, you know, and, and they're, they're worrying about her meeting their needs versus being the man and going out and bravely and boldly meeting her needs, right. you know, pouring yourself out, like taking up your cross. Uh, yeah. I said that to a, to a friend one time and he like looked at me weird. And at that time it was probably not a good analogy for that. But I think in marriage, like that's kind of what it is. Like sometimes we're not going to like that person <laughs> and right. we have to pick right. up our cross and, and pour ourselves out for them right. regardless of how we feel, but for the love of that person. Right. Well, and you know, I think we're talking about marriage. This is a, this is an interesting thing because I think too often the scriptures have been misconstrued in, in that the, the woman is to submit to the man and she's to respect the man and, and all that kind of stuff. And it really gets misconstrued. Uh, you know, Ephesians 5.22 says, wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, interesting in 5.25, this is Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it which is exactly what you just said is, well, how did Christ love the church? <laughs> he died for the church. Okay. And so, so husbands want to, want to lean into 522 says, wives, you need to be subjective. You need to be respectful and subject to me. And you know, well, wait a minute, guys, <laughs> what about, what about your role? You're to die to yourself on behalf of your 
on behalf of your wife. But every time I teach this, I I start at verse 21. And and, and if people read the text, and Paul starts this whole thing, it's 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 really and he's also got one in, in Colossians. It's, it's called the house code because he, he talks about husbands and wives and he talks about parents and children. And he talks about masters and slaves, employers and employees. But the whole passage begins with verse 21 of chapter five. He says, be subject to one another. And, and, and people miss that. This is mutual submission. It's mutual submission. It's not my agenda over your agenda. It's not your agenda over my agenda. It's back to that principle of reciprocity. Each of us is submitting to, to, to the other. Each of us is focusing on the other. Now, yes, the husband needs to take the lead. And if, and if we were, I could take that same, that same principle from Philippians and say, you know what? I'm going to do that as a leader in the workplace. I'm, I'm not going to make it just about my agenda. There's things that I want to achieve. There's things that I want to see the organization achieve. But it's not just about me. It's also about my employees. I could use that in that. I could use that, I could use that principle of, of, you know, meeting the needs of others. I could use that in a leadership context. I can use that in a parenting context. I can use that in a personal relationship context, and I can use it in a husband-wife relationship. But it's mutual submission, but somebody's got to be the first mover, right? And, and those of us that are positioned as husbands and positioned as fathers or positioned as professors or positioned as, quote-unquote, the boss, we, we need to be the first mover. We need to be the one that takes the initiative. But that doesn't mean that we're going to lord it over others. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear about that. Don't be like the Gentiles. Those who are in authority, they lord it over, but rather serve one another, you know? So, yeah, I could go off on that. But. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do another uh, podcast episode just about yeah. that because that is a, a fantastic subject. Yeah, I, somebody has to start. Yeah. It begins with humility, I think. And a lot of people take it as I, you know, I have to control, I have to, you know, assert my will. But I think the, the mark of a really good leader, and we kind of did this exercise uh, two classes ago where we, you know, we listed up all of our adjectives for uh, the, the ideal leader that we thought. And right. I think one of the common themes there, I mean, there's a lot of common themes, but I think the most important is a good leader shows humility. Because yes. you kind of assume these other qualities about them. Like they're not going to be, you know, in that position unless they have, you know, unless they're smart and all these, but humility, I think is the trait of a really good leader. But, you know, I think humility is, is one of those words that, you know, if you just said that to anybody on the street, they're going to think, well, humility means, oh, weak, meek. Yeah. Let me lay down and, and be the doormat that you wipe your feet on. And, and that's not, that's not biblical humility. And in fact, Romans chapter 12, verse three, gives us some great insight here. Paul says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't, don't overthink. Don't think you're, you're, you're all that and that you're some kind of big deal. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, okay? As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And then right after that, verses four through eight, he says, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so do we who are many as one body in Christ and individually members of another. And then he talks about since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So, so to me, being humble, is, first of all, it's, it's not about me, but I also need to be aware in, of this and is that I have been given certain gifts. I have a gift of teaching. I have a gift of exhortation. I have a gift of encouragement. I need to be a good steward of that gift. I don't need to think more highly of myself than I ought to, but I also need to have sober adjust, uh, you know, assessment that, okay, I've been given this gift, and I need to be a good steward of that gift. And, and so that whole idea of humility is, yes, it is not about me, but it starts with me. And, and, if, and if I have these gifts, and Paul lists a whole bunch of gifts there, if, if your gift is teaching, then you need to teach. And if your gift is giving, then you need to give. And if it is, is encouragement, then you need to encourage. And, you know, but it all flows from don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but have a sober self-assessment. And, and so I think true humility is, is it's not about me, but it's also realizing that I've been blessed or I've been gifted, or I've been wired in a certain way, and I need to be a good steward of that 
which has been entrusted to me. And I need to be a good steward of the influence that I have. I have a sphere of influence, right? I have, I have students in my classroom. I have these relationships with these men. And, and you know, and, and interesting thing is I have a relationship with a bunch of my son's friends that I've known them since they were in second and third grade. And it's just interesting to me that they come to me when they need, they have a big decision to make. They come to me when they're struggling, they, you know, and, and so I have this sphere of influence that I need to be a good steward of that sphere of influence. So I think that's, I think that's huge. Yeah. I think before the last thing that I wanted to ask you before we go here is you just mentioned, you know, humil part of humility. And I, I definitely agree with that is finding your talents and not over exaggerating them, but not under exaggerating them. Right. How do you think we, we start, especially if nobody's ever had a mentor to kind of point those things out to them, where do we start, do you think, to find uh, what we're really good at, our, our passions, not even necessarily our passions, but our, our gifts and our talents? Right, right. Yeah, I think, there, you know, I've, I've been very explicit about my purpose is that I want to help my students discover and live into their God-given design. But I think there's a couple, I mean, the strengths finder assessments, those kinds of things, th those are remarkably accurate. And, and, and they, they, they give us some insights. But I think the other thing is um, just kind of stepping back on our own lives and, and observing what are things that I do and that when I'm doing them, I have tremendous joy and pleasure in doing them. Uh, what are some things that I do that, that others seem to respond to or others notice that I'm good at? And I think sometimes we, we just kind of look in our own life experience and we can say, you know, there's things that I just gravitate towards. I, I you know, early on, uh, I just, I, I liked to teach. And, and uh, I can remember Coach Carter uh, was teaching a course on motivational psychology and, and he would have me teach some of the class and I enjoyed that. Uh, and then when I, I started going to church, my very first teaching that I ever did was I was teaching fifth and sixth grade boys Sunday school and they were going to a Christian school and they knew the stories better than I did. And if I didn't get the stories right, they actually corrected me. And, and then one day, just a casual conversation with, with our pastor, I said, you know, I, I think someday I'd like to teach adults. And, and pastor said, well, you should do that. I, I think you should do that. And it was like, well, there's a, just a kind of off the top of the head comment and affirmation from him. And, and then uh, we, we went to another church after he had, he had retired, and, and uh, I ended up teaching an adult Sunday school class, and that was kind of the, the first thing. And then I started teaching part-time at Tarrant County College, teaching principles of economics. And, and it's like I kind of had an interest in it, and I kind of dabbled in it and got interested in it, and then started feeling that two things. A, I really enjoyed doing it but also people were responding positively to me doing it. And so, um, you know, and I think that's part of discovering my bent and, and what I encourage students to do. I want to help you discover your God-given design. But some of that is there's some assessments we can do, but some of it is just your own experience. And sometimes we try things, we think we might like to do that, and I don't really didn't like that. Well, that's okay. That's that's part of the shaping. And, and, and we explore and we, we, we think about things and, we find out we don't like that, and then they'll find out there's other things that we do. So I don't think, once again, I think it's there's not a formula, a precise formula, but I think there's a combination of experiences and affirmations, and uh, there's some assessments that, that can be done. Uh, there's actually an exercise uh, called the best self exercise, and um, the idea here is, is that you reach out to people that know you well, people that have a chance to observe you and ask them to tell you what they see in you that you're really, really good at. And my experience with that exercise is that, is that when we do that, people tell us things that we're good at that we weren't even aware of. And, and it's probably because it just kind of comes naturally to us. And, and so we're, we're not even aware that it's, it's special, but then others start seeing that and say, you know, you're really good. You're really good at asking questions and drawing people out. You're really good at listening and paying attention. You're really good at this. And I think you know you're good at that, Vince, but sometimes we're good at things that we, we're not even aware of. And then when someone else comes in and, and, and affirms it, then we say, oh, okay. 
well, maybe that's part of my bent. Maybe that's one of my strengths. And, and now that I'm aware of it, maybe I need to cultivate that. And, and, and cultivate's an important word. We'll talk about metaphors of, of, of leadership in, in the leadership course later on. But one of my favorite metaphors is, is, is thinking about a gardener or a farmer and, and, and that they cultivate, you know? And so I prepare the soil and I plant the seed and I water. There's nothing that, nothing, nothing is seen. It's, you know, it's like it's, there's stuff going on, but it hadn't, it hasn't broke the surface yet. And, and then over time it starts to come up, right? And, and then it, and I continue to water and fertilize and nurture it. And then it grows into a complete, complete mature plant. And then it starts producing seeds that can then reproduce. Well, that takes time. And, and so that, that idea of cultivating that, I mean, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an event, it's a process. And so thinking about discovering our design and figuring out what we're good at, you have to think about it in terms of cultivation, that there's some seeds that are planted, some seeds take, some seeds don't, but when some of those little seeds start popping up, then we can say, ah, well, you know, I'm gonna cultivate that one. And so I, kind of a emergent organic, but it, a process, not an event. So I think that's a, a fantastic takeaway to look at it as a, yeah, cultivate over time and it's not going to happen right away and it'll happen when it happens if you keep working at it. Well, and that's the same thing with those mentoring relationships we were talking about earlier. It's a process, not an event. It's not a one-time conversation. If it's going to grow and develop, it, you know, we can cultivate it. Some of them take and some of them don't and, 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 and that's okay. Even if, even if someone is just enters your life for a moment, there might be some some lesson that you learn in that moment or that that limited period of time, but it, it's used later on. Okay, so I don't know. I just think if we have a teachable spirit. We're we're, we're gathering all these things, and and they're going to be used at some point in our life. You know, so awesome. I think that's a perfect place to end this one. Okay, all right. great talking to you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I hope we can do it again uh, sometime in the future. Sure. I, I love doing it. I love, to, I love to talk about this stuff. So you get me started. You're going to have to reel me back in. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Sounds good. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. That was my guest, Dr. Jay Lee Whittington of the University of Dallas, or as he prefers, Jay Lee. Jay Lee has had a successful career in academia and business consulting and has been married for over 40 years to his high school sweetheart. I hope you got something out of this episode as I did, and I hope you come back here for the next one.